plans. He has subversions that he can throw at you to knock you out. I look over my life in the ministry. I think about hundreds and hundreds of people uh, that have served the Lord. And I look back and I can see this family knocked out and that family knocked out. And I thank God I look around some other people that have weathered the storm. Like the old ship of Zion. They have weathered the storm. And they're still staying with the stuff. And I praise the Lord for that. And I look at Paul and I think... He's a stalwart of the faith. He was a guy that he said, I had troubles. He says, I had people against me. I had people who wanted to kill me. I had people that gossiped against me. I had people that set traps to destroy me. I have had heartaches. I've had Christian brothers turn away and walk the other way. I've been left alone in ministry. He says, but you know what? Of all the pain and the sorrows, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the imprisonments, all of these things, he says... Lord, I don't want to be moved from your Christian service. But none of these things move me. I love that. I love that. And you know, there is a lesson for us to learn this morning. Is how can we remain unmoved in a crazy world? How can we remain unmoved? How can we stay rooted like that tree by the river of God's goodness. How can we stay faithful in the things of God for the longevity? It's great to start out well, and a lot of Christians do. They have the zest, you know, when you first get saved, I'm gonna live for God, I'm gonna do great things for God, and we get on that track, and it's not long before the devil laughs and he says, watch how quick I can knock him out. And after a while, if we don't walk in the spirit of God, if we don't stay focused Many times we will become a victim of that fall. I want to look at three quick moorings that Paul brought out in this scripture in Acts chapter 20. That how we can stay with the stuff. How many want to stay with the stuff till the Lord calls us home? Amen. All of us. Praise the Lord. Now here are three things. Three anchors to help us keep our moorings. Number one, we got to guard against emotional trap of self-pity. we got to guard against... The emotional trap of self-pity. And notice what Paul says in this scripture in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of Jews. We've been doing a study on the book of Acts and we've been talking about the Sanhedrin, the, the, the religious power people that, that try to crush Paul and his mission of spending, uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they hated him. They conspired against him. I don't know about you, but... I love to be loved, don't you? Look to your neighbor and say, I like to be loved. Can you send some this way? Amen. I like to be loved. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to be the, 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 uh, the recipient of someone's hatred. But Paul was literally hated. I mean, they, they tried everything in their power to destroy him. And so the apostle Paul could have fell into the pit of self-pity. And, and all of these troubles can come against us in our life. Self-pity allows us to feel that we're victims. And then that's how we begin to define ourselves. I'm a victim. Woe is me. I'm the only one. Why am I hated so much? Why have problems come my way? And, and we can turn inward. It creates a distorted feeling of security. It gives us an excuse for giving up. It gives us a, a watch-the-use attitude. It's been said that the nice, the nice thing about self-pity is that you can't get others, uh, when you can't get others to feel sorry for you, you can always still feel sorry for yourself. 
And it's natural for us to feel sorry for ourselves, and we've done it before, and it really, it can help ease the pain of trouble. But when it turns into who we are, and we continue to dwell on it and convince ourselves that we are victims, and we're in the hands of some uncontrollable fate, then it becomes detrimental to our very well-being. If we permit ourselves to dwell upon past hurts and injuries, we're more likely to use them to justify our yielding to other destructive habits and to reasons of resignation and walking away from God. I've seen people become very angry at God. Good Christian people love the Lord, and they think, you know, why did God allow this to happen? I thought if God loved me, he was going to keep me on that rose bed of that rosary path of blessing. And, and why did God allow tragedy to come to my life? And many people just become angry with God and walk away. We seem to think, as we look around, that others would do the same thing if it happened to them. And the solution is to realize that our unhappiness is caused by our own self-centeredness. And when we continually focus on ourselves, it comes at a price of excluding all others. And the self-absorption is like a fence around you that keeps out those that would lend you a hand. And, and then we isolate and insulate ourselves, and we withdraw from that place of Christian service. And we have to take the focus of ourselves and begin to see that those around us who have trials and struggles in their lives, we can be a help to them and they can lean on us and we can, and we can lean on them and then we can help each other and open up and to reach others as we serve the Lord. So in the face of great hardships and attack, the Apostle Paul refused to fall in the trap of self-pity. And our emotions are so powerful, but our emotions don't have the power to think on their own. Our emotions are, are only something that, that responds to the improper thinking of our life. And how important it is for us to always think about positive things, think about the Word of God. And even when troubles come, we have to remain free from that emotional danger of falling into that trap of self-pity and saying, woe is me, woe is me. And then here's the second thing that Paul stayed clear of, and this was his, his uh, ultimate, I believe, the, the strength of keeping him focused, and that is stay connected to God's purpose for your life. Stay connected to God's purpose for your life no matter where you are in life. And, you know, people might get in the way. And our circumstances might get in the way, financial hardship, marital conflict, I mean, career conflict. There are so many areas that can threaten God's purpose for your life. Paul says, no matter what happened around me, no matter what my enemies said and what they tried to do against me, he said, I'm going to stay connected to the purpose of God. Notice what verse 20 and 21 says. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. This is while he was in trouble. This is while troubles were rolling upon him. He says, but I have, circled this, showed you. I have taught you publicly. And from house to house, I testify both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul mentally refused to be distracted or resigned from God's purpose for his life. He could have quit. He could have sulked under the constant hatred and physical suffering from Jewish leaders. But instead, he used this pain to drive him deeper into his God-given mission of life. Stay connected for God's purpose in your life. I got news for you. We're just passing through this world. Some of we think this is, everything is, listen, this, this world is a shifting place. And, and if you don't stay focused on Jesus, and if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to sink. You're going to go down. 
I have found in the ministry a long time, you got to rise above people, you got to keep your eyes upon Jesus, and you got to remember the calling that God has given you and stay true. The pain and misery actually catapulted him into a frenzy of work. He says, I showed you, I taught you, I testified, I worked, I stayed focused. Under the duress of suffering, it takes an enormous amount of mental energy to discipline yourself to remain steady at your God-given mission in life, even though you feel inept and depleted and you're hemorrhaging from the inside out. And when we're hurting, it's easy to lose focus and to fall into the temptation of pulling away from the mission that God designs for us. Inactivity enhances depression and futility. I tell people all the time when they're going through hardship and they're saying, Pastor Tim, I, I, think, I, need to, I think I need to quit. I think I need to, I, I'm just so, I'm, I said, you know what? You need to do the opposite. You need to get back on that horse that you just fell from. You've you got to get back and you've got to serve and you've got to focus on the, the purpose and the mission that God has for you and stay with the stuff. Life has meaning and purpose, and when we fill our lives with the work that pleases him, we begin to find a greater purpose uh, through our hurting distraction. And Paul said that. He says, my enemies are out to kill me, but you know what? It's okay. I've got to remember why God called me, and that is to show people the grace of God, to teach people the principles of God, and I have got to be faithful to be a testifying witness to all the Jewish people of Israel. He stayed focused. He kept busy. I tell people all the time, the the greatest way to fight depression is not give in to depression and quit and resign and walk away. The greatest thing to do is roll up your sleeves and say, you know, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And God will infuse in you new hope, new strength, and new purpose. And then I want you to look at the third, and it's my favorite point, is focus on the eternal perspective. It's the big E, eternity. Remember, everything we're going through in life has an impact on eternity. I think about that now. You know, when I turned 60, uh, I was like, wow, you know, two-thirds of my life probably is coming to a close. I'm thinking, well, I hope there's a little bit more time past the 60 mark. But I was thinking in my life, I thought, God, you, everything I've done in my life in retrospect is going to have an impact on eternity. And God, I just want to, I want to hear those words from you when I enter heaven's gates or when I pass through this veil of earthly life and I see the glory of Jesus. I want, to, I want to see a smile on his face. I want him to say, Tim, welcome home. I want to feel his embrace. I want him to, I want him to hear, I want to hear these words. Well done, Tim. You have accomplished the purpose that I have designed you and created you for. Don't you? I want to hear that. And we got to remember that in our life, we have to keep the eternal perspective in everything we do. Notice what he says here, what Paul says in verse 24, our text verse. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. Watch this. That I might finish my, my ministry, my course, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What matters most is not about your problems, about the things that trip you up. It's not about the people that don't like you. It's not about what has happened bad to you in your life. What happens, what, the most important thing in your life is that you keep yourself on chart and, and on course in your service for Jesus. If we can first understand God's plan, we'll have a deeper and more permanent motivation to remain steady. Those who live without an eternal perspective 
or those who lose sight of their eternal perspective make their own standards to benefit themselves and their own selfish interests, and their mortal perspective becomes their limited standard of life, which only breeds depression and deprivation. First century Christians always experience physical and emotional persecution, and Paul would constantly shower them, remember, what is our life? It is a vapor that appears for a little while. He says, what is the sufferings in this life? They, they, they have little impact. Only if you keep serving Christ, you're going to be rewarded for your faithfulness to the Lord on the other side. The first, first century Christians had success because they had the eternal perspective. They knew that the Lord was going to come again. They knew that he was worth serving. They knew he was worth living for, and they worked for that eternal reward. I think about the Old Testament saints. They went on forward in their life, not knowing where they were going, but going in faith, knowing that there was a better country, that there was a city, not made with the hands of men, but made by the hands of God. They forged forward because they knew this life was a little wind of time, and they said, we are going to be faithful to God to the end because ultimately my spiritual reward depends upon my faithfulness and my faith to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. You were not created to just sit in a chair. You were not created for a purpose of just sitting in the peanut gallery watching other people serve. You were created and given gifts to be a part of the body of Christ. And one day you will see your Savior Jesus Christ and you will give an account of everything every great thing that God has given you and what you have given to him in faith. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is we're about ready to see him and maybe in this year or just a few years ahead, I would give everything I have to say, you know what? I'm going to plug into the eternal perspective. I'm going to give all that God has for me because I want to be counted faithful when I see my savior and when I stand with the other saints in glory. Praise his name. That day of accountability is coming. We need to guard against the emotional trap of self-pity. Don't go there. And we got to watch out about being, losing our connection for God's purpose of our life. And we, we got to get past people, past our circumstances, past our problems. We got to get past our busyness. And we got to prioritize our life and say, you know what? My eternal perspective is the most important thing in my life. Because I'm going to see Jesus, and I'm going to answer for the life that, that he has given me. I want to share a little story with you, and then I'm through. My, I was about 27 years old as a young minister. And uh, I probably had the most challenging thing come in my ministry when I was about 27 years of age. And there was a tragedy that took place in our church. And there was a little boy. It was his birthday. It was his seventh birthday. His mom bought him a brand new bike. And this little boy was so excited about his bike. And he lived up here at the Glasgow Trailer Park. And uh, he took that little bike on his birthday. But he went somewhere he shouldn't have went. He crossed Route 40. And when he crossed Route 40, there was a truck that plowed over that little boy who was a member of our church, was just saved two weeks at our vacation Bible school, went to our Sunday school program, and he died and was killed instantly. I got a phone call from his mom. I, was, I knew the little boy, sweetest little fella. 
that was a night, and I remember being 27 years of age, totally shocked to see the horrific tragedy. And I, I remember praying with her, but then I got another phone call and said, Pastor Tim, you got to come to this family because there was another man in our church. He was the one that ran over him accidentally. So I was going to the home of this one family of a little boy that was crushed under his work vehicle. And then I went to this family that was trying to deal with the grief and the accident. It was, there was no charges. It was, he, he hated it. It just, the little boy just pulled out in front of him, out on Route 40, and it was just, and I'd go and I'd spend time with this guy. And I saw devastation on both sides of my churches, in my church. And I tried to, and Janet, you remember that. I, I went 24-7. I just, in fact, I never even stayed at home. I stayed, I went from this house to this house, this house to this house, and I had to switch gears. And that was the most challenging thing I ever went through. We had the funeral at the church. It was a huge funeral. And I tried to help this, console this other family. And, and the man that ran over the child, I remember praying with him and helping him and trying to stand with him and trying to encourage him. And I remember I was so afraid that this would just decimate his faith, that this would just destroy him. And, and, and as we began to talk, and I, I shared with this guy, and I said, you know what? I don't understand why God allows things to happen, but all I know is this, that God never makes a mistake, and he's perfect in every way, and we live in an imperfect world, and that's not God's fault because he put us in a perfect environment and it was God's plan that we would always enjoy fellowship with him in a perfect place of union where the humanity could grow and we could live. But it was man who decided to disobey God. It was man that got himself kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It was, it was our listening to the devil that got us in trouble. And I tell people all the time, when bad things happen, don't lay the anger at the feet of a holy God that only had good and, and good intentions to bless us. Blame the devil. Blame the devil. And I shared with this guy, I said, no, you got to back up. I don't understand, but all I know is that, that God allowed this circumstance to come to, to bring this little boy home. And, and somehow you got to step back and realize that, that even though bad things happen, you can go and do, go through all the details and live through all the horror of it all. But there has to come a place where you step back and realize that, yes, bad things happen in a broken down world that the devil has created. And somehow we got to have the faith to ask God to help us. And to realize that God allows things to come into our life to build us up in the holy faith. And I shared with this guy, remember sharing the scripture with this guy. Don't get caught in the emotional trap of self-pity. Don't be, oh my, why is it all the bad things happen to me? You know, God had a plan and a purpose. And from our earthly perspective, it looks terrible. But from the heavenly perspective, the Bible says how blessed and precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of a saint. God chose in his sovereignty to bring that little boy home to him. And now you say, what, you, are you telling me that God created the, the accident? I don't. I am not in a place to sit in judgment of the Almighty. All I know is I'm a created being with a little infinite mind, but I have faith to know that he is holy and there's no guile in him, and he is a holy, perfect God, and I choose to praise his holiness. And when you come to the place to trust him, instead of trying to trace him, it is then that faith will rise in your soul. 
I began to share with them. I said, you got to stay connected for God's purpose in your life. God has a calling in your life. You've you got to keep serving the Lord in the church. This is not a time for you to throw in the towel and quit and go hide under a rock. I remember talking to him about remember the eternal perspective. One day we're going to see that little boy. And you know what? All of the earthly things that happen and the brokenness is not going to have any relevance in the kingdom of God because everything will be perfect there. It might be broken here. You might not understand it here. But up there, God will unveil his plan and purpose. You know, that young man got it. And I want to share what with you today. That young man is still serving Jesus, still loves the Lord. He's faithfully connected to the kingdom of God. All because he began to realize that what happened was bigger than he that God allows things to happen for a purpose. He threw that in the lap of God. He made up his mind that he was going to stay connected to the purpose that why God created him. He's still going to serve in the capacity where God called him to serve. And he, he chose to keep the eternal perspective that in this world we will have a veil of tears and troubles and discipline. But in the end, there's going to be ultimate glory for every child of God. That's why Paul said... People have tried to murder me. I have been shipwrecked. I've been bitten by a snake. I have, I have been thrown in prison. My life is, I have been beaten. But none of these things move me. Why? Because I want to finish the course. None of these things move me. That's the kind of faith you need. That's the kind of faith I need. Don't let a tsunami of trouble take you away from your service to Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand, as John the Baptist would say. His fan is in his hand. The kingdom of God is so close. And soon and very soon, the Jesus that I talk about, you will see him in all of his glory, and you will stand in his presence. And there will be that judgment seat of Christ for every believer where God will hold us accountable to answer for the things that we've done. And I hope and pray we can stand right behind the Apostle Paul and say, none of these things move me. None. Self-pity will take you far away to a very dark place. Losing your purpose in life will take you to a darker place. Losing your eternal perspective cause you to question everything about God, the house of God, the kingdom of God, and bring you to a world of disillusionment. Don't go there. Don't go there. Realize trouble comes to all of us. I know a lot of trouble that a lot of you have shared things with me. None, Paul said, none of these things. Because I can rise above Stay connected to God's purpose and see the eternal perspective. This is just a little window of time, and soon we're going to be over there, and we're going to spend much more time over there than we are here. And all God's people said, oh, what a happy day that'll be. Let's pray.